everybody. Oh, there you are. Good to hear from you this morning. Uh, excited to be with you to do Pilgrim's Progress. Um, I know I said last week that I wouldn't be up here, but ha ha, I'm back. You, you've got me again for another week, so uh, buckle up. Um, we get to go through two of the most interesting stages, in my humble opinion, of the Pilgrim's Progress. In fact, last week I wanted so badly to jump into these, um, but, but had to restrain myself. Um, and, you know, we got to do a lot of good character study last week. We got to look into the character of, of ungodly people versus the character of godly people. And we'll get a little bit more of that today. But really, we're going to get to look at two main uh, themes uh, for John Bunyan in The Hill of Difficulty and The Palace Beautiful. So these are two huge things to do with the Christian life. And so before we get started, let me pray, uh, and then we can, we can jump in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you that you are our Father. And as we have Father's Day today, we think about that and how blessed we are um, that you created us, that you saved us, that you continue to build us up, and that one day we will be with you in glory. And there is no better thing to hope for, no better thing to meditate upon, and no better thing to just rest uh, our hopes in and put our sights on. And uh, we pray all of this in Christ's name, amen. All right, so uh, if you've been following along with us, we just got to the point, hi everybody, come on in, come on in. Uh, we just got to the point where Christian, he met two unsavory characters. Well, he met, he's met a lot of them so far and he'll continue to meet more. But these last two were hypocrite and formalist. And so here comes Christian with these guys who were mocking him, right? Jeering at him, scoffing at him. And they come to this big giant hill. And it's just so telling that formalist and, and hypocrite look at this hill and they're like, nope, don't want anything to do with this. Look at these two easy paths that we can go on instead. We're going to go this way. And there's our dear brother Christian who is not going to follow formalist and hypocrite uh, and choose the alternate ways to the difficult hill. Um, he is not going to follow them because they have cemented their destruction with danger and destruction were the two paths that they ended up taking. Now, here's your first blank. Note that the deceitfulness... Note that the deceitfulness of sin makes danger and destruction look better and easier than the Christian life. This is a wonderful allegorical depiction for us for the Christian life. Yes, the Christian life is a difficult hill to climb. And the only reason that you can climb it is because the Holy Spirit is empowering you to do so. But sin makes things look, which are actually worse off than going up that hill, sin makes it look better. That's so wild to me, how sin can just so um, twist and warp our minds. So let's have two readers. Let's do Hebrews 3, verse 13, and then Galatians 5, 
16 and 17, and Charlie's got a mic this morning. That's awesome. All right, so who are our first readers? Hebrews 3, 13. D. D doesn't even need a mic. His voice just booms. Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another day after day, as long it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Wonderful. And before we get to Galatians 5, 16 and 17, I just want you to hear how easy it is for your heart to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right? Even Christian, as he's going through um, this journey of the Christian life, he's going to have those times, right? Uh, not to be a spoiler alert, but there's a certain path that he jumps off at some point, okay? Uh, and, and goes and finds another little castle that was horrible, and he never wanted to be a part of it. Or there's a time where he gets a little sleepy, right? Because he is being deceived by sin that would make it look more attractive to do something that will actually cause him destruction, and this is why, you know, Pastor Joel, when he was preaching through Hebrews, spent a lot of time focusing there on the reality that sin is deceitful. That's its purpose, right? Satan is the great deceiver. He's the great liar, right? He, he is trying to deceive us and have us walk away from Christ. We even see that all the way back in the garden where he's deceiving Adam and Eve about the apple and what God has actually said, the fruit Sorry, some of you were just like, it's not an apple. Um, anyways, uh, all right, Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Who's our next reader? Galatians 5, 16, Tud, thank you. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Thank you. So that's the other thing about sin, right? That's our desire. That's the thing that we actually want to do. And I know you're like, dude, you haven't even gotten to the hill yet. You're still talking about hypocrite and formalist. But I think this is such a telling picture of how sin can trick us. Here's clearly the path, right? Uh, Christian found that out from the very beginning. It won't be easy, but it'll be clear. You know what path to take. It's the one right in front of you. And there it is. And here go formalists and hypocrite like, nah, we're not going to do that. That looks too tough. This way looks a lot simpler and a lot easier. And that's the way that led to their destruction. So moving on, finally, uh, we get to the Christian life will be difficult. That's your blank. If you're in here this morning and you didn't know that, you're welcome. Uh, the Christian life will be difficult. It's going to be full of dangers and suffering. Now, this is, again, why this book is so cool. Because Christian, immediately, as he sees the hill of difficulty, he's a little scared, right? Okay, this is a big hill. And then what is he, how does he start? Do you guys remember how Christian starts up the hill of difficulty? Running. I got this. This hill is nothing. I'm going to run right up this hill. I'm going to dominate this hill. And then you find out really quickly, oh, this hill is a lot harder than Christian thought, right? Uh, we actually, uh, the, uh, whoever is having the dream, right, Bunyan, uh, he says, I look back to Christian. And he saw that no longer was he running, but then he started to walk. 
And then eventually, he was on his hands and knees crawling. And I think that's a good reminder to us of our Christian life. Some days, you're in a full-on sprint. I got this. You're feeling really good. You've got the Lord behind you. You know, you're just feeling like you could do anything. You can conquer that hill of difficulty. And other days, you're crawling on your hands and knees in total desperation of the Lord to help you. Again, talking from a man who... um, has, has been a pastor, right, Bunyan, and who is now in jail on the, on the floor of a prison cell writing this book. He certainly knows the hill of difficulty and, and, and crawling uh, as a part of the Christian life. So we see that Christian is going up the hill of difficulty. And then our good Lord, as he always does, provides for his people rest, right? He is our good shepherd, And so although our life will be difficult, the Lord provides rest for our weary souls. And that's what Bunyan puts in here. The Lord provided on the hill a place for Christians to sit down, or pilgrims, to sit down, take a deep breath, and receive some rest. Now, a really good idea when you're resting Okay, Um, so today is uh, the Lord's Day, a day that should be about worshiping the Lord and resting, right? So go home this afternoon and and have that rest, okay? Uh, Or or maybe you're going to make your father a a delicious cake. I don't know. I don't know why I'd say that. That would be delightful for your dad. Um, Or or maybe give him presents. That's weird. Um, I don't know why I'm thinking about this so much. No, I'm kidding. Just go home, right, and have have a good day and rest. But what does Christian do to rest? What is the thing that he does to rest? He sits down and he reminds himself of his salvation and his assurance. So those are your two blanks right there under C, resting place number two. He reminds himself of his salvation and assurance. This is a way to bring rest to our weary souls, okay? A lot of us have been going through a lot of things lately, okay? A lot of us have experienced sufferings and hardships on this hill of difficulty. And so let me remind you that a godly way to remind yourself of your rest is to get away from yourself and remember things that were totally out of your control, like your salvation, that God saved you, pulled you out of the muck and mire and put you on solid ground. That is a wonderful way to refresh your soul when you're going through difficulty. This is really similar to Psalm 49, talking about the idea, but God, right, will save my soul from Sheol. And then secondly, he thinks about his assurance. Again, not resting on his own good works, but assurance assurance is resting on the fact that God is faithful to his promises. If he's promised you salvation, you are promised then that you have assurance of salvation. If you actually believe God to be who he says he will be and is, then you can rest assured that you will be saved. So this is how Christian rests. He goes and reminds himself of his salvation and then reminds himself of his assurance. Okay, so a time of rest, though, which is really interesting, can be quickly followed up by a time of backsliding or slothfulness. What? And we need other Christians to shake us out of our slumber. Okay, we, that, that's why we think 
church membership is so important because we need other Christians who are on this hill of difficulty with us to sometimes say, Brother Andrew, you're asleep. You need to wake up. You've been slouching off in in this area, or I can see that you're walking into sin. Wake up, okay? Don't allow yourself to fall asleep. And I think this is important um, as Christians to remember this is what we need to be doing for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, if you remember the story, Christian falls asleep, right? He's exhausted, he falls asleep, and then some dude running by him you know, yells out as he's running by, look at the ant, you sluggard, right? Maybe don't do that. I'm not sure. That might not be the best way to shake your brother or sister out of their sleep, but it might be. It it might take that clear of a call uh, to, to wake them up, right? But what I do love is that Christian uses somebody saying something, someone who's nameless, right? Just a person going by, but what's important that's being brought up? It's God's word, right? It's God's word that shakes Christian out of his slumber. It's the spirit using that to go, oh, he's totally right, whoever this guy was running by me, screaming at me, you know, look at to the ant, you sluggard, right? But that is the reality of this pilgrimage that we're doing together. So if you see a brother or sister who is falling into an area of sin that they may not know, the the proper way Again, not like uh, we talked about earlier, a track smack or not like a uh, kind of a drive-by versing, do this and then keep going, right? But it is a way for us to tell our brother or sister, we point them to God's word because God's word is the thing that's infallible. God's word is the thing that is inspired. God's word is the thing that is sufficient for all life and godliness, not ourselves, right? We use the word of God to do that for us. So um, let's go to the ant. Somebody read for us Proverbs 6, 6. Anybody? So we can hear it. Charlie's got a mic. He's ready to put it in your hand. Nobody wants to read. Please, right up front. And then right after that, we're going to do Galatians 6, 1 and 2. And you can see the other verses there. You only have to do Proverbs 6.6. 6. Thank Go you. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Okay. Trying to, to wrestle this person out of his sleep. He points to the ant, which is God's general revelation uh, for them to see creation and how God has ordered creation. Then we have Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, so we're seeing Paul uh, here describing in kind of one of his, I mean, how do you say one of his best? Uh, All of Paul's writings, all the scripture is the best, right? But we see Galatians working so hard on the law and and how other people are adding things on to their justification in Galatians. And then at the very end, after Paul has spent so much time on that, he goes into, hey, you need to bear each other's burdens. 
And you need to do that by going to somebody who is actually in sin. You need to wake them up out of that sin and do it gently. And also keep watch that you don't slip into that. All right, I also have 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 8. Any other takers on reading? Anybody, anybody, anybody? It's going to be me. Eric Hassan-Jaeger looks really sad. Oh, Bryson got it. Okay. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Thank you, brother. Again, warning us against the deceitfulness of sin and falling asleep, right? It's, it's not the falling asleep as people dying, which Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians as well. But this falling asleep is, hey, don't, don't slack off, right? Don't, um, don't become hardened and not want to do any of the spiritual disciplines, right? We need to be alert. We need to remember that the Lord is coming. I think it was Nathaniel who was teaching us a few weeks back, and he, and he brought up Martin Luther about what, what, what did Luther want to be doing when Christ returned? And he said, I want to be planting a tree, right? I, I want to be working. I want to be going and doing the things that the Lord has called me to do in my everyday life. Okay, so we, we see that Christian is uh, woken up from his slumber, and he is now kind of double timing, right? He's like, oh no, I can't believe I fell asleep. I got to get back right on the right on track. And he just starts doing something. Boo, I'm going to run, right? I'm going to get up this hill. I'm, I'm going to dominate. I'm going to do great. And then he sees these two guys running full speed back at him. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. If you're running somewhere or you, you know you have to get to a goal and, and you're sprinting in that direction and then you see people running at you with their eyes like this big going, turn around, go the other way. I mean, what would you do in that situation? I would keep going. I would not be afraid. Yeah, good job, right? I, but it, it's unnerving when you see people doing that. This is why Bunyan is just... He's awesome. He, he's so great at giving us these, these great descriptions, right? So we have these two men, Timorous, did I say it right? Someone correct my English. Is it Timorous? Good. Okay. Timorous and mistrust. Now, Timorous, I had to look up, and it comes from the Latin word fear, okay? So that's your blank. We've got a man named fear running back at you. And then you have mistrust. I can pronounce that one. I'm pretty proud of myself. And we can see pretty easily what mistrust is, right? It's a lack of confidence, to have no trust. And I love this part when I was looking it up, to doubt truth. Ooh, that's the one that's your blank because that's the one that was like, ooh, right? Right in the, the, the rib cage, to doubt truth. So the actions of these men, they're fleeing from, uh, from Christian or from the Christian path, path greatly distresses Christian. Now, what did Christian do last time he was tired and, and needed help? Just happened. I just talked about it this morning. What, what were the things that he did? He sat down and he thought about what? His salvation and assurance, okay? So 
He's freaked out. These two dudes just came running at him. He slips into his jacket pocket to get that scroll and (gasps) it's not there. Oh no, where is my assurance? Again, Bunyan is so cool because he is helping us see when we are influenced by other people's fear, by other people's mistrust, which guess what? Is a huge influence on your life. If you like to pretend, no, I've got this Christian life, no matter who's around me, no matter what they're doing, I'm on it. I'm never gonna be driven off the path. The people that you have around you will influence you in ways you can't possibly imagine, which is why the book of Proverbs begins, right, with the father telling his son, beware of who you have around you. They're going to influence you. So here come these two dudes. They freak Christian out. Christian looks for his assurance and it's gone. He has lost his assurance, okay? So be, um, beware that not just the company you keep, but the things that you read, the things that you listen to, um, all of these things, the movies that you watch, the television that you intake, all of these things can affect you reaching in and going, you know, and finding there's a hole in your pocket, right? And you're like, oh no, what happened to my assurance? So a great example then of what do we do when we lose our assurance? Maybe some of you are like, there's never been a day that I've lost my assurance and I want to come study under you because that's great. Um, That's super encouraging. But all of us on this hill of difficulty at some point will lose that assurance or maybe it's shaken, Maybe not lost, but maybe you're just fumbling around in your coat pocket and you can't find the assurance, okay? So we get this cool blueprint uh, of what Bunyan uh, wants to help us see on how to regain that assurance. What's the first thing he does? He immediately seeks, this is a blank, forgiveness. He immediately seeks forgiveness. And the forgiveness he's seeking is from his slothful act and his losing his assurance. And so he's gonna go back now to where he lost it, okay? So he immediately seeks forgiveness. And so as we, uh, number two, I I got ahead of myself. Um, This is a practical example of how you can regain your assurance. And so here are those practical examples. I thought about just giving you the slow death of death by fill in the blanks, but I decided against it this morning. Um, So you don't have as many as I wanted to give you. Just know that. I wanted this whole thing to be blank for you. But the way that he's going to regain this assurance is going to be to recall the actions that may have contributed to losing this assurance, okay? So I get to do biblical counseling here at this church, which is a, a great and weighty task, and I love it. But when people come to me and they're struggling with this, I usually like, as we're trying to get down to the heart issue of a sin, I usually like to see, well, what are these outward issues that are going to be contributing to the deep one, right? And so I'll say, what are the actions that you are doing that may have contributed to this and make people think about it, right? Well, we're seeing that that's what John Bunyan is doing for our friend Christian. He's going to recall the actions and he starts thinking, what was I doing? Oh, I was, I was asleep. How slothful was I? Oh, I can't believe I was doing that. In fact, uh, just a few pages uh, earlier, he was rebuking someone for being slothful. And now he's done the very thing he rebuked someone of doing, right? 
So then he seeks the Lord in prayer. Okay, I'm going to go to the Lord. I realize that I was being slothful. I may have been um, not praying anymore or not looking to his words. I'm going to seek the Lord in prayer. And then I'm going to seek to change the habits, change out the habits to seek the Lord. So that idea of, of changing your habits is really helpful when you are noticing that your habits are rotten and they're not actually helping you follow the Lord. Another thing to do that you've heard me say until I'm blue in the face, especially with, with preaching through the Psalms, is remembering the wonderful deeds of the Lord. And then finally remembering the beauty of our salvation. So he finally gets back to his scroll. He grabs his scroll and it's like a moment, right? I'm sure there was like this blinding light that happens. He's so excited. It doesn't say that, but I'm just adding now to to Bunyan. Remember, it's not the Bible. I can add to Bunyan and it not be accursed. So we're going to keep going then. So he gets his salvation back and then we get the palace, the porter, and the lions. Oh my right? We get this great scene where, where Christian is cresting the hill and he sees uh, this, this palace beautiful, right? And, and immediately though, as he's cresting, it gets a little tighter for him. And uh, as he's running forward, he's remembering the things that Timorous and mistrust were telling him, right? We can do this too if we're not careful as we're progressing along the Christian life and someone may have said something to us at some point and it's discouraging us because we're meditating on that. But, but Christian, as he's coming up, seeing the beauty of the palace, only to be discouraged by what? The lions, right? These two lions that were in front. And, and just like sin being deceitful, our company can give us half-truths as well, right? They can say something about our experience of the Christian life, but they have no um, Bible behind it, or they have no theology that helps them explain it. So they may have had an experience, but they don't know why the Lord was bringing them through it. And so here comes Christian, ah, the lions, right? And, and he's deciding, what am I going to do? Now, before we get to how he actually moves forward through the lions, I thought this was really interesting. So um, I read, it was either from, oh, what's his name? The guy from Ligonier. He's got a great Welsh accent. Thomas, Derek Thomas, thank you. Yeah, so Derek Thomas, it was either from Derek Thomas or from Leland Riken uh, on his work of this. Um, but... He said that the lions actually for um, Bunyan represent something, which I thought was really cool. These two lions that would have been discouraging Bunyan. So just real quick, anybody have any idea what these lions may have been? Lions in the life of John Bunyan. If you're remembering the things he suffered from. Did you read this already as you've been studying? You've listened to Derek. This is me pointing my finger at you. Ah, so one, the government, the government of England, right? They are, they are persecuting people who did not worship God like them, right? And they were adding a bunch of things into it, and that's a whole other story. Actually, if you're really interested in that, because I can see it, Titus, I can see your eyes, you were just on fire to know. We, when we went through the 1689, we did a couple of 
intro courses to the 1689, and we talk about that. We talk about uh, the, the government in England at that time and what they were doing. So Titus, go back and listen to that, okay, bud? All right, cool. I'm glad uh, that you were so interested in that. All right, what would be the second lion, you think? So one was the government, and what was the other? Anybody? Any guess? Wild guesses are fun. You can't do it again. You already did it. Who said that? High five, Bryson. Yes, it was the Church of England. So, so these were the lions. How sad. The Church of God was a lion to Bunyan, right? It was something that was snarling its teeth and pawing at him and trying to destroy him because of his faith and, and typically, or not typically, but, but basically because he would not go through their ordination to be a preacher uh, in the Church of England, he thought that that was against scripture and so they imprisoned him so these are the two lions so i'll ask you this question you don't have to say it out loud but what would these two lions be in your day what are the lions in your life right now that are that are preparing you um, for suffering or or that are causing you suffering what are those lions Okay, so that's just something to think about. We're going to move on. So those were the lions there, snarling, terrifying, right? And then we get the porter. Now, what is a porter? Were you guys like, I totally know this, Andrew. I didn't have to look this up in a dictionary. I can see it in your faces. You knew what a porter was. I am just uneducated. So a porter is a person who's positioned at a door, and here's your blank, to admit entry now my theological nerdiness was like like it was like going off the richter scale just for this one moment uh, of the book i mean it goes off all the time in this book but it was like what what is he doing with the porter that's so cool right so i'm getting really excited and you can feel it too now um so the porter is positioned right before the palace beautiful to allow people in so i just want you to start thinking who is the porter in this analogy, right? So now let's, let's mention something else about the porter. The porter not only is the person who admits entry, but the porter is the one who encourages Christian in his faith. And he's the one that explains to him the lions are there to test his faith and then tells them or tells him how to traverse it, right? So he's sitting there and he's encouraging him, hey, come on. You over there, come in here. Go right down the middle. They're there to test your faith. They won't get you. Trust me, come on. I want you and your faith to be encouraged, right? And so Christian, uh, with great haste, makes his way. And if you saw the pictures, right, they're like, ah. And he's doing a little, like, you know, dodging kind of action to get through it. And then he finally gets to Porter. And you would think, and if you've watched that movie, uh, the most recent animated version. Also, here's for free. You're welcome. There is the most horrific version of Pilgrim's Progress, and it has none other than Liam Neeson in it, right? So if you're like, man, uh, if you remember the phone call that Liam Neeson made, right? I'm going to find you or whatever he said. Uh, it is nothing like that. It is awful, and it's so much fun. So so maybe, maybe go look that up later. Um, so... Uh, in, in the animated version, Christian comes running in and Porter just swings the door open. They run in. They're like, ah, you know, and they're okay. But that's not how Bunyan actually portrays it. 
Christian comes running in. You can imagine him, right? Sweating like me, just drenched and freaking out. And he runs up to the door and Porter's like, I got some questions for you. Not like, hey, come on in. It's like, "Mm mm-mm. You're going to wait a minute. You're going to answer some questions, right? And so here, now the porter, his name changes. Or, or maybe this is his actual name. Porter was his position. Um, but kind of Bunyan goes back and forth. Now he's called watchful. So watchful, you're blank, questions Christian. Who is he, right? Where is he going? Watchful just doesn't accept his testimony right then and there right? Although he's encouraging him, you could tell that he loves this guy, and he gets to the door, and then he's like, tell me your testimony. Hmm, okay, I see what you're saying. I'm going to go get some people from the house now, and these people are going to come, and these people are going to question you, right? And so the people from the house, discretion is the first one, um, was called by the porter to decide from the rules of the house. That wasn't a blank, but I should have blanked it, is the rules of the house, if Christian could stay. And so she hears it, and it's so sweet, right? She's like crying. She's so excited to hear a testimony. We should be like that when we hear testimonies. Uh, It should just move our heart. And then what does she do? She calls prudence, piety, and charity, and they all come out. My goodness, poor Christian. He's like, lions just tried to eat me, and I'm going through the gauntlet of questioning, right? And they all talk to him, and then they are so excited to invite him into the house because it was made for pilgrims like him. Mm. So, so sweet. So I want you to answer, who does the porter represent? Not you, Dennis. Don't look at me with those eyes. You, you are not allowed to tell. Okay. Well, that's good. You're giving me actual biblical characters and amen. I love that. I love those parallels. Um, What about the position of the porter? So in that answer, that would probably be members of a church. I think that's good. Anybody else? Any ideas? I, I like this. I think we see that at the wicked gate, right? When, when Christian's pounding at the door and then it gets opened and we had that whole debate last week about when was Christian saved? Was it then or was it at the cross? And I'll just leave that one there. You can go back and listen to last week. Um, but good, I like that. I think you're on it. <laughs> Boom! It's like the uncomfortable elders meeting when you become a member and everyone says, amen. Um, this is, this is my, <laughs> this is, this is what I think, and maybe others would disagree with me, but I see Porter as he stands in front of the church, and as he encourages others to come to the church, and as he helps them in their walk of faith as, as they come to the church, and then they say, I want in the church, and the Porter says, I need to ask you some questions, right? It's not just Sure, you can become a member. Just sign the list or walk the aisle and you're a member. No, it's, it's a little more uncomfortable, uh, as Sandy said. Uh, we can just, you said uncomfortable? Was that the word you used? Okay, that's, that's what we'll write down in our notes. It's like the uncomfortable elders meeting. I love it. Um, yes, so I think 
the porter is representing an elder. And then when the porter calls, this is where we're seeing John Bunyan's very Baptist ecclesiology come in, okay? So Bunyan was very much a congregationalist. Bunyan, um, we, we claim Bunyan, right? Um, there are a lot of people who try to claim Bunyan and Spurgeon for some weird reason. Uh, I love Presbyterians, but you cannot claim Spurgeon. Uh, he was a pastor of a Baptist church. Anyways, um, so there uh, I, I think we see that Bunyan is explaining kind of the membership process of someone becoming a member or at least using what he sees and realizes life um, as a very, um, uh, I'm trying to say a very big Baptist, a very Baptist of him uh, to, to do that uh, with his ecclesiology or with his understanding of the church. Um, so that's my piece on who the porter is. You can come up after Sunday school and, um, you know, try to get after me on that. I am more than willing. Okay, so then I want you to note, though, the difference between the names of the people we have been experiencing right? So help me out with some of the names. Uh, Give me some of the names of the sinful people that we've met on this road so far. Just yell them out, blurt them out. Worldly wise man. Who else have we met? We've met no one else. Just what? Pliable. Obstinate. Legality, right? We're, We're meeting all of these, what? Morality. We're meeting all of these people and all of these names we can see in the negative connotation, and then we meet discretion, prudence, piety, and charity. Such a shift in the characters that we're meeting. Such a sweetness, such a uh, fruit of the Spirit. Okay? So now we get to the palace. There's so much more I could have said. Um, in fact, there is a, a wonderful, you guys need to go back and you just need to read the conversation that was had. It was so encouraging between Christian and all the people because they're, they're feeding off of each other with each other's testimonies. They're encouraging each other. They're teaching each other. They're counseling each other. They're loving on each other. They're eating together. This is what the body should look like. And we're told that this body or the palace was built by the Lord. The palace was built by the Lord. And we saw, as they're explaining it to him, that this palace is built for relief, security, and entertainment. Uh Uh-oh. We are not a seeker-sensitive church. And never will we be, Lord willing, uh, as long as he sustains us. There will be no fog machines. There will be no fancy lights. We will not have, um, anyways, you, you get what I'm saying. We're, we're not going to have those things. So what did entertainment mean to Bunyan? Well, if you go look it up in Webster's Dictionary, and you go back and look how the word has changed throughout the centuries, you see when he was using it, it meant to show hospitality, to keep something, to hold something, to maintain something, and to provide. Now that sounds a whole lot different than entertain me or are you not entertained? Anyways, I'm going to stop with movie quotes that are apparently just flowing out of my head at this moment. All right. So the palace is also a place of deep conversation about testimonies, about provisions of the Lord, and fellowship with other believers. The palace is both for physical 
and spiritual nourishment. The palace is a place for teaching and recounting the wondrous deeds of the Lord. This is where we see when Christian is learning about all the works the Lord has done. They're seeing the artifacts, right, that they had in this armory, and they're explaining to Christian what each one of these artifacts are, what the Lord has done, even the blade that Jesus slayed uh, the the serpent with, um, which was kind of cool, um, although it hadn't happened yet. So anyways, there, there, there's all of this good teaching and recounting of the wondrous deeds of the Lord. The palace is also a place of equipping. So as, as Christian is going to continue on this pilgrimage, now he's got all uh, the, the armor that he needs. He's got a sword, right? They're encouraging him and they're sending him back out into the world. So the palace is what, friends? What is the palace? The palace is the church. Do you call the church, the palace, beautiful? Is that the thing that you think of when you're saying, yes, today is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As you come driving up this long driveway, as you see this church, is it the palace beautiful? Have you been running through lions? I sure hope it has. Because this morning, as we leave Sunday school, as we've had fun jumping through all of these uh, sweet things that Bunyan has put before us, now we get to the meat and potatoes. Now we get to the word of God proclaimed. Now we get to the word of God saying and read and prayed. And we get to the Lord's Supper and we come to this, friends, and this is beautiful and what we get to experience. So I hope today, as we go into this, you are encouraged about the beauty of not the the roof and the walls and those things, but of the body of Christ that we get to partake in here in about 15 minutes. So let me pray. If you've got questions, concerns, cries of outrage, you can take them somewhere else. No, I'm kidding. You can come to me and uh, I'll answer whatever you got. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for people like John Bunyan, who wrote incredible testimonies, wrote books, and and wrote lots of other things uh, to help us, to encourage us, to call us through those lions in our life that would discourage us and make us fearful and mistrusting of your awesome word. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that they would be able to cling tightly to their scroll of assurance, knowing that your promises are always true and all the promises we find in the Bible find their yes and amen in Christ. And it's to him we cling to. It's to him we hope in. And it's to him we give all of our love and affection. Lord, stir that up in us this morning during corporate worship, we pray. Amen.